Welcome to Abergavenny Baptist Church. Let's get ourselves ready to hear the Bible reading. It's going to be a, a fairly long reading, uh, Luke chapter 18, 1 to 30. We're just going to be looking at uh, the beginning of the chapter this morning. It's always good, isn't it, to have some context. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice, and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like all other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. People are also bringing babies to Jesus to have him touch them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, No one's good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. 
When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus replied, What is impossible with men is possible with God. Peter said to him, We've left all we had to follow you. I tell the truth, Jesus said to him, No one who has left home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. Now, I've got a great secret uh, to tell you this morning. Uh, At Raglan Baptist Chapel, where we were before coming here, there's a secret key to get into the chapel. Not everybody knows where it is, because if everybody knew where it was, uh, it wouldn't be a secret any longer, but it's good for some people to know. There wouldn't be any point at all in taking a key, hanging it by the front door of the chapel uh, with a notice saying, here is the secret key. But Luke chapter 18 that we've just heard um, a hefty part of starts with two parables with the key at the door and a sign saying, here is the key. The story of the Pharisee and the publican, and we won't be looking at that this morning, but we are told that it's directed at those who feel themselves worthy to stand before God on their own merits. And that parable is there to teach us all about humility in our approach to God, not to be presumptuous, not to look down on other people. Oh, the first story, the one about the persistent widow, gives us some advice that we might not think is worth giving at all. That we should always pray and not give up. Uh, I expect you probably think, well, I've come out this morning, I've got myself ready, I've missed the archers, or I've missed Andrew Marr, just to hear somebody tell me I should always pray and not give up. What a wasted morning! Well, folks, this another little secret. There are two ways to upset your minister if you want to upset your minister. First of all, you can say to your minister, Mike, there's not enough communication in the church. Right? And the other way is this. Mike, there's not enough prayer in the church. But we know, don't we, that all kinds of things militate against our life of prayer. There are many discouragements in life. Our faith might be running low at the moment. 
our view of ourselves might tell us that we simply don't deserve to be able to come into God's presence. Pride will always do it. Sin will always do it. Our view of God, above all, might mitigate against our desire, our need, our practice of coming into the presence of God. That's where the parable starts. Best thing we can do to encourage prayer in our lives and in our church is to put our view of God right. And the parable starts, doesn't it, with a judge who doesn't fear God and who doesn't care about people. Just the wrong kind of judge. Now, I think that you and I meant to come up with a jolt against that because we know that this parable is going to be about God and we're invited straight away to think of God in terms of a judge who doesn't care, a judge with no standards. And if your mind, your heart, your faith recoils against that, then the story has done its job. What we know about God already with our heart and our experience tells us that God does care about justice. That God does care about people. As we were singing a little earlier on in the service with that video, God loves everyone he's made. We know from elsewhere in the Bible that God is grieved that the world is in the state that it's in. But we know that he's put into place a plan to put things right in the coming of Christ. And we know that in his justice, in the end, God will bring everything to a good conclusion. And it will be joy all round. And in the meantime, God hates poverty. He hates injustice and untruth. And above all, he cares about individual victims. Now we're on safe ground saying that in church, of course, as long as we don't actually mention anything specific. Because if we mention something specific, somebody's going to disagree. Well, come on, folks. I'm not asking you to predict the result of Strictly Come Dancing. I'm just asking you to say, oh, let's not sell arms to Saudi Arabia if they're going to use them in the Yemen. That's all. You see, your experience of God shows that he cares about you. And in the same way, he cares about the person next to you, the person behind you, the person in front of you, the person in the spirit's aisle at Tesco, the person, well, you get the picture. Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. There is no shadow of turning in thee, thou changest not. Thy compassions, they fail not. 
as thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. So your hackles should rise at the suggestion that God could ever be like an unjust judge. Do you remember that time in the book of Genesis when Abraham was given an inkling by God of God's plan to destroy the city of Sodom? Do you remember that incident? God told Abraham, the friend of God, we are told in the Old Testament, God told Abraham that he was going to destroy that city. And Abraham began to plead with God on the basis of his own love and his own attributes of mercy and justice. If there are 50 righteous people in that city, you won't destroy it. You're the God of all the earth. Does not the God of all the earth do justly, says Abraham? And Abraham beats God down in a remarkable passage until finally just a few people, the family of Lot, are spared from that destruction. Let's give this away into the next part of the parable. The unjust judge, the persistent widow. Well, who is the persistent widow? Well, it's you and you and you and you. It's the church. And just as the persistent widow does in the story, we are to lay siege to God. Until, in the words of the unjust judge, he is worn out by our appearing before him. Now, this is where it gets a little bit mind-bending. Jesus says it's going to work, even with a bad judge who doesn't care about justice and who's indifferent to people. So how much more is it going to work with a God who does care about justice and who does love people? Folks, I wonder whether you know anything about the Abraham approach of reasoning with God. One of the most precious times in my ministry was uh, many years ago in Versailles, just on the outskirts of Paris, although they hate, they hate you saying that they are on the outskirts of Paris, <laughs> in Versailles. Uh, a young Mauritian member of the congregation, uh, 20 years of age, called Deepak, fell ill with lung cancer, not a smoker, clean life. He was training to be a tennis player, tennis professional. And he was beginning to meet some of the elite uh, in French society, but he fell ill with lung cancer. And I spent a lot of time with Deepak, and we prayed a lot together. But I began to sense that he was taking it too well. Oh, yes. Oh, I'm happy. I'm delighted. God is good. I've got lung cancer. Everything's fantastic. Brilliant. Doesn't cut it, folks. 
I directed Deepak to the Psalms. The Psalms in the 70s and in the 80s of the book of Psalms, where people have a controversy with God. And where the word why is never far away. And from then on, some very marvelous things began to happen. Deepak is still as far as I I know. We've lost touch now, of course, but uh, even though he'd been given a death sentence, it so happens uh, he's still alive. And marriages took place, um, reconciliations took place, public reconciliations and baptisms and what have you. The parable shows that God wants the direct approach. The judge gave way to nagging, and God can take it. Obviously, there's quite a lot of problems here theologically. Uh, I'll leave the theological problems to Mike, you know. We're told that God knows what we need before we ask. So why ask? If God is so just and so loving, why is there a delay so often making us be persistent? My own feeling is that probably the answer lies in the interaction between the different providences of God. Uh, Things that he directs to happen and things that he permits to happen in order that all comes together for the purposes of his will. His overwhelming desire being, of course, that the maximum number of people should come through to a relationship with him. The question is brought up at the end of Peter's second letter in the New Testament. God's not slow as we understand slowness says Peter. With him, a thousand years is a day, and a day is a thousand years. But whatever our understanding of these things, the teaching is clear. We are to be constant in prayer. Are we weak and heavy laden? Cumbered with a load of care. Precious Saviour, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do thy friends despise, forsake thee? Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms he'll take and shield thee. Thou wilt find a solace there. See, that's the hymn. For somebody who has got nothing apart from God. Uh, In the church in Raglan, every week we would have um, choices from the congregation. They'd say, what would you like to sing this week? And every single week, this woman would put her hand up and she'd say, well, she'd say if I'd asked her, (laughs) but I I would always look somewhere else. Because otherwise we'd be singing that every week. A part of me says, why not? But another part of me says, well, you need a bit of variety uh, in, in, what, in what you sing. 
She would have chosen it every week. Why? Because she had nothing apart from God. For the joys and for the sorrows, the best and worst of times, for this moment, for tomorrow, for all that lies behind, fears that crowd around me, for the failure of my plans, for the dreams of all I hope to be, the truth of what I am. For this I have Jesus. For the tears that flow in secret, in the broken times, for the moments of elation and the troubled mind, for all the disappointments, for the sting of old regrets, all my prayers and longings that seem unanswered yet. For this, I have Jesus. <laughs> For the weakness of my body, the burdens of each day, for the nights of doubt and worry when sleep has fled away. Needing reassurance, the will to start again, the steely-eyed endurance, the strength to fight and win for this I have Jesus. Folks, how realistic is that? Hands up if you need a hymn like, like that. Well, believe for you the rest of you, that's all I can say, because I do. Perhaps we don't pray enough because we have too much of a buffer from God. Riches, family, influence, career, the story is about a poor widow, no riches, and no family. You don't have to get to that point before you take the teaching of Jesus to heart and in everything by prayer and thanksgiving make your requests known to God and the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus those prison words of the Apostle Paul. The story begins with the disciples. Jesus is telling the disciples that they should pray and not give up. What a bitter irony there is there. We know that the teaching didn't stick. We know that the disciples fell asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane 
and that they ran away. The story ends in an unusual place with the doubt of Jesus. Sounds incongruous, doesn't it? The doubt of Jesus. Jesus asks a doubtful question about whether he will find us watching in prayer or not when he returns. Whether he will be disappointed or thrilled when he comes back and sees what we have made of his teaching. Well, as far as I'm concerned, there is no question about it. Unfortunately, I wonder how things stand with you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the simplest teachings because they are by far the best. We pray, Lord, that each one of us will take to heart this invitation. The invitation to be insistent in prayer and ask you to come to our help. We thank you for the realism in those two hymns. What a friend we have in Jesus and in the song for the joys and for the sorrows. Help us to be realistic with you. Help us to tell it to you like it really is. And come to help us in our weakness. Because we're fickle. We're changeable. Those who fain would serve the best are conscious most of wrong within. We thank you for your teaching. In the name of Jesus. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about Abergavenny Baptist Church, please visit our website at abergavennybaptist.co.uk.